We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. TickPick should be your first choice to buy basketball tickets because they save fans money by never charging any service fees, ever. TickPick is the exclusive ticketing partner for the Laker Film Room Podcast and Blue Wire Network. What do you think about the Laker team now? Do you follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Mike today. No, Darius. Mike, you're in Memphis traveling with the team, but you did not join us on the Boston Celtics celebration episode. Before we move toward the future, man, share with me your your thoughts from that night. I mean, I didn't need to join you, Pete, because I was sitting next to you about, uh, what, eight feet away, and I could uh-huh. see – now, you had a mask on, but I could see the little gleam in your eyes. My eye. eyes were uh, smiling, Mike, yes. <laughs> your eyes were – dude, <laughs> and by smiling, I'm not talking about smiling like, oh, um, like, this is this is great, um, my – I just got a fresh pizza delivered to my door. No, I'm no, no, no. that's not the energy no. at all. This was like this was like Christmas morning energy for like eight year old Pete um, expecting his like a, the Magic Johnson jersey that he had been asking for um, <laughs> as a child. That that was the glint in the eye. You know, Mike, that's that's a very innocent way of looking at it. It was more of a watching the vanquishing of my enemies in real time <laughs> up close type of energy. But I appreciate you still see me through through those eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's true. The the vitriol uh, that that was also associated in there that was like a level behind. So I saw the joy first, but you're right. There was a little bit of rage um, and shot and Freud uh, that always. was there as well. Yeah. Always, always. Yeah. So, yeah, so that was there. As for the game, the game itself, yeah, yeah. The game, the game was great. Actually, let's start, Mike. Let's start with the pregame. I want to talk about the the pregame press conference, which I thought was one of the most fascinating ones of the season. You and I were sitting next to each other for for that, and in that, you had you know. Vogel talking about, we were like, oh, is he going to go small with some of his comments? He was like, the bigger lineups can't score, referring to the lineups with Dwight. You had asked about Bradley's availability. Anyhow, and you have Vogel saying probably the most explicit of the season, at least you've been to more of these, maybe you could correct me on that, of saying, hey, you know, the vision at the beginning of the season was AD at the five and having a, a defensive wing flanking LeBron and AD. And just that whole night 
And starting with that press conference started seemed like a paradigm shift, Mike. And maybe I'm seeing what I want to see and hoping for what I, I want to hope for. But what were your takeaways just from you know the press conference to before the game? I thought it was super interesting. Well, as you mentioned, and people are going to get jealous of how much time I get to spend with Pete now. Uh, oh, stop we're it. walking out of the presser and I looked over at you and I was kind of like, lineup change coming tonight? And yeah. You're like, yeah, kind of kind of sounded like that to me. And this is one of those times where Vogel doesn't directly say what the lineup is. And then we spend the next several minutes uh, trying to figure it out. And then, you know, I try to text a couple people or um, whatever, go talk to a couple people and find out what it's going to be. And our guess, right, was that they were going to go back to Bradley in the starting lineup and move AD to the five and t- and keep THC in there, which ended up being the case. And earlier in the year, Vogel had made a couple of comments about how essentially the big lineup he felt like was holding up better defensively and the small lineup was clearly much better offensively, but because they were struggling so much defensively, um, he felt like he was going to go to the bigger lineup and uh, at least until they got a, some additional wing help. So when THT first came back from his injury, that was the first indication that, all right, maybe this is enough defensive wing help and enough size, even if it's not ideal, that we'll try this. And then LeBron goes down again, right? And they switch the lineup back to being big because it's just, it's really hard to go small without LeBron um, in there. Uh, sure. You know, because you at least have one guy who can kind of QB things in the back line and, and can protect the rim some and can organize guys. So then that happens. And, and this is a long way of saying that I don't, I think that Vogel was eventually going to get to this. He just really wanted a couple of more like big wing type bodies that could hold up some in the scheme up until the point where they started the game with Dwight Howard and Bradley and they looked at it and it was like, it's just not going to work offensively. You know, it's just, it's holding us back too much to start. And so uh, that was what he hinted at uh, before the game. And then they play like that. And I think Pete, uh, let me kind of kick it back to you on this because your suspicion was eventually the defense was going to come around some as well. Um, I think with with that group and like and certainly enough so that creating the space that they're getting on offense, even without it being a heavy shooting lineup, like it's not like Bradley and Avery right. and, Avery Bra- and uh, THC or snipers out there. But nonetheless, just not having the big down there and having AD spacing out to an extent, uh, you saw them just get all up in Boston's paint and. What I'm curious about is if they can do that again at Memphis, who's going to be a little bit better uh, and a little bit better organized defensively in that context. But that's what I'm curious about where you saw that uh, change coming and kind of what your thought process was uh, alongside me. Yeah. So the idea of attacking the rim and being a physical team is still there, right? It, it's counterintuitive to be like, we need to go smaller so that we can attack the basket. But that's really how it played out. The Lakers had 66 points in the paint, had a 63 to 41 rebounding advantage, and AD had, you know, 16 boards on the night. And and what was the uh, what was the fast break points breakdown here? I'll, I'll bring it up. Yeah, pull, pull that up if, if you can. Yeah, I don't yeah. remember it off off a of hand, but that ability. And so that your point about THT and Bradley not being snipers, I think is a super important one to zero in on. I don't think Bradley is a permanent part of the starting lineup. We shall see. But I don't think that, you know, when none gets back in particular, when a reason gets back uh, that that he'll be there. And what uh, is so fascinating about this team, and I can't tell you how gratifying it is to start seeing this on the floor, on tape, and not just in theory, is that 
it's we're a small ball team with a different twist, Mike, is it's not shooting. Most of the time when you go small, it's to space the floor, quote unquote, meaning that we're going to have five guys who can kick your ass from three point range. And if you leave somebody open, they're, they're going to burn you. And we've got a couple guys, obviously, on this team who can do that in Ellington and Monk, Mello and, and certain guys that you, you certainly don't want to leave. But more of the concept is, can you be a, an effective small ball team with ball handling being the more featured component and the ability to attack the basket being more featured than outside shooting? And that's where I think that when the great Lakers teams of all time, Mike, we've historically been a big team. We talk so much about that being kind of our identity in the 1920 season, but all the way back to George Mike in and then Wilt and then Cream and Shaq and Powell, like, and then Anthony Davis. This is a, a, a franchise with a long tradition of dominance on the inside. And what I'm so fascinated by with this team is conceptually, we still should be able to do that. Like when you've got, when there's space, so we talked about like Anthony Davis's ability to drive and hit these crazy reach across your body, you know, floating shots. He's got wonderful touch on those. Russ is relentless at attacking the basket in his own way. LeBron is LeBron. Even THT, of all of the holes in THT's game, he's elite at that. He's elite at driving to the basket. This is part of the reason why I think those four plus none is like, how could you – how can you defend that? Even if you're not closing out to shooters, it's this series of drive and kicks and cuts against all of these guys that can make shots from around the basket, from all of these wonderful angles, these floaters, these contorting layups and all of that. And so seeing that, Mike, that it's an approximation with Bradley in, in that spot. But even then, we saw the how the big three could flourish in that game. And so that, that was the big thing that stood out to me is just like all of our stars were really – in, in one way or another dominating that game. So the the interesting part here too for me is not just I, I mentioned the transition points and, and that ends up being um 18. So that like that's pretty good. Like they didn't get out and run. But overall the paint points and this is something I know that you pointed out in our group thread Pete, but I was just looking individually at who got in there. And so LeBron eight for eleven in the paint, Westbrook seven for eleven, THT five for eight. Fifteen shots. 20. AD, 6 for 10, and then uh, Monk, 2 for 3, and then even Mello and Dwight uh, both had two field goals in the paint each. So that, like everybody, basically, was getting into the paint, but... That's 32 buckets in the paint, if I kept track of that right. 32 buckets in the paint just between that group of players. Yeah, huh? right, and I, I didn't, um, let's see, I don't think, did Bradley, yeah, Bradley had one bucket at the rim, a two, um, so throw one more in there, and then, yes, yeah, so none, none for Ellington, and none for Bays. Yeah, so that would have been it, so... Like the balance there to me between the stars is the most important thing. And then you're at it. If THC is on the court, he will get to the rim a couple of times. Like it's just, it's just, he's, he's always trying to dart there. And so you throw in, you throw in THT's couple of rim attacks on top of what the three stars do. And it gets us right back to that point, Pete, where like we were just talking about Phoenix and Golden State and what's the recipe to beating them. And like, that's it, you know, AD at the five spaced out and just have, yes, have LeBron or Russ or AD, or if those guys are all being paid attention to THT, like those, they're going to get to the rim. And that's eventually to me going to wear down some of those teams like that. It's going to wear Draymond Green down, uh, who's who's terrific in there. Usually it's going to wear Aiton down, which is what AD did in those games two, game two and three. And it's going to wear down a team like the Nets. It's just like, can they get the defense good enough 
to like, you know, to to get to the point where they're stopping them like the team that won the title for the Lakers did. And I've now moved this into a macro combo. We can get micro again. But that was the exciting. No, thing yeah, you know us, yeah. man. It's always 100 percent. Well, that's the thing is this is a macro con- conversation. It is a paradigm shift. It's a fundamental. I talk so much about the shape of your team and like it's it's a, a fundamental shift on a, on a very basic. It's a different style of play. Let's take a quick break. I want to get into our ability to drive to the rim and why it's going to be so difficult to guard. And then in the third segment, let's talk about some of the defensive questions that that come with that shift. Lakers basketball is finally back, and there's no need to exhaust yourself by searching all over the internet to find Lakers tickets anymore. Because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site, and the only one you'll ever need as your go-to for all NBA tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that other ticket sites charge, which lets them guarantee the best prices on all their NBA tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices on the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in purchase price. I'm excited to see this Lakers squad get out and transition this year, and there's nothing like seeing a great fast-breaking team in person. Visit TickPick.com LFR today and use promo code LFR to save $10 on your first order of Lakers tickets. Are you looking for ways to skip the trip to the post office and dodge all that hectic holiday shopping traffic? Why not save time and money with Stamps.com? Stamps.com lets you compare rates, print labels, and access exclusive discounts on UPS and USPS services all year long. It just makes sense, especially if your business sends more mail and packages during the holidays. Whether you're selling online or running an office or side hustle, Stamps.com can save you so much time, money, and stress during the holidays. Access all the post office and UPS shipping services you need without taking the trip and get discounts you can't find anywhere else, like up to 40% off USPS rates and 76% off UPS. Save time and money this holiday season with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code FILMROOM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, free postage, and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the page, and enter the code film room. So Russ has that big third quarter right in front of us, Mike, and he's getting to the basket. Oh, you talked about his, I think, seven buckets in the paint. I think five or six of them were there in that third quarter. And so I went back and watched the tape. You know, we saw it live, but I watched the tape on it, and it really spoke to the decisions that you force the defense into. Specifically with, we were running a lot of horn sets built around Russ and AD ball screens and just two-man game kind of out of that particular formation. And the way the Celtics were guarding it was very AD-centric, meaning that like we're going to take away the lob. And that's the thing we I talked a lot about the defensive decisions this year. And as a coach, you always have like kind of this either or we're going to focus more on taking this away and willing more willing to live with this. And Russ can miss layups we've talked about let me mix this in while you explain this just so you can to contextualize this for us but is yeah yeah russ attacking the way that he was in the third quarter does that have a lot to do with ad basically playing more aggressive uh than or like doing something different than he was doing in the first half or was it independent uh, I think it was independent I mean so first of all ad yes and no <laughs> right ad's pressure on the rim it's like how many guys are you occupying defensively and even if you don't score the basket it's a matter of like how much do we have to worry about you and the way the Celtics decided to defend it especially as he was rolling hard and being more of a presence in the paint was we're gonna not we're not gonna let AD 
beat us on the roll. And this happens, the Lakers make these decisions all the time on defense. This is the nature of NBA basketball is a like kind of shifting your resources where they want to go. And they decided no AD. Russ was kind of passive with attacking that in the first half. What that means is Robert Williams is hanging back on AD and Williams could still get to your shot. He's, you know, great hands, great at getting deflections, block shots. But Russ, when Russ gets downhill and turns that corner, he gets that corner on Josh Richardson or whoever's guarding him. Or if it's Dennis Schroeder, he's just going to plow through him. But if he gets that corner on him, Russ is going hard to the basket, Mike, for better or for worse. And what that force is, that means Robert Williams has to make a decision. Like he is still half responsible for Russell Westbrook on that because his guard is chasing around the screen on that. And so it's the speed in which like if if you're in Robert Williams's position, you have to go, all right, I'm going to I'm hanging back on AD. But when Russ comes downhill, I've got to be able to contest that. And the faster you have to make that decision, the more that decision making degrades. And I think that's a big part of what this team can be is that when I talk about speed, it's not so much that we're running up and down the floor in transition. That's part of it. But that Mike, when Russ was getting downhill, it is with no hesitation and it is a ball of fire, a ball of fury. And Williams already being in the mindset of I'm going to take away AD. That's fertile territory for a guy like Russell Westbrook to take advantage of. And then the point that I'm taking out of that, right, is, okay, Russ is now starting to find a couple of areas because of LeBron and AD's presence on the court, where even just doing some simple, aggressive, attacking things are going to work better. And maybe they could still get to a point of better optimization, offensively at least. Like, let's say if Ellington's out there instead of Bradley. And so that part is interesting also. But I'm still like there's a part of me that does get what Frank Vogel means by the defensive pressure that Bradley starts out with. And I, I just think that eventually your your stars and, and now we can if I can transition to Russ sort of on the other end, Russ really started to get into Tatum a, a lot more like during. So yeah. he had the initial onslaught where he's just shooting threes over the top. And I don't know I, that to me, that's not something where I. I get too critical of the defense, especially when one of them was a bank and went, you know. Right. Yeah. It's not like the scheme like is bad. Like stop Tatum, this 6'10 dude yeah. from shooting. It's like right. if LeBron, if LeBron decides that he's, if LeBron wants to shoot nothing but threes for the first four minutes of the game and he makes four, it's not like the other teams, what are they going to do about that? They're not, you know, there's not much you could do about it other than like the right. Steph Curry deep. You can trap. Yeah, him. exactly. The trap. Right. You're not trapping two minutes into a game, right? You're just, you're just not, it's, so that that right. aside, that but after that happened, they come out of the timeout, and I thought Russ was kind of like, "All right, you're not, no, you're just not getting this anymore." And and that was that was again one of that po- the podcast that we did about Russ back in August or whatever it was, where if he doesn't have to do as much offensively, at least he doesn't have to carry the burden of doing everything. Can he just on a night on a night like this one say, "All right, here I'm devoting myself now, all of my athleticism to trying to stop this thing." And and if it even if it doesn't work and the guy scores some, the energy that can get picked up from that is important uh, for the rest of the team. And, and I thought LeBron, by the way, was able to then carry a little bit more on the offensive end because he wasn't having to do as much on the defensive end. Uh, and and so that like that's the stuff to me that is I, I'm still I'm watching very curiously with LeBron and Russ, and I'm kind of like AD to me is going to fit great no matter what because you know he's he, 
what his skill set is. No, absolutely. And I think that that point is well made about having the resources and energy to devote elsewhere. And that's something where defensively, we've got a lot of questions of like, how does this work? How does this all piece together? And from that macro sense, Mike, I view us as an NFL defense that may give up a lot of yards, but also forces a lot of turnovers. Russ is like a pick six type of player. And I think we've got a, a couple of those. THT has been very disruptive in terms of forcing turnovers. And that's when he's at his best, even offensively is in that open court in the scramble situations that turnover forcing, um, but you can't play an entire game that way as well, right? Like it's not just these chaotic moments all of the time. And one of the things that I really liked about what Vogel did in that game defensively is after that timeout, Russ did get a, get up in him, but it was funny, Mike. I've been pining for the switching, right? I've been pining for the switching for so long. They start out that game switching, and Tatum just kicks their ass, right? This goes over the, and they're calling for switches against smaller players, and then he gets hot, and then it's AD on him, and he's shooting over AD and all that. After the timeout, he did come out. Uh, he was weakening the screen, and so that means in a high ball screen. We're influencing in a particular direction. And the idea of influencing in a certain direction is something that as we get more into these small ball concepts, we'll talk more about uh, uh, on the pod, but that he changed it up in a way where like, oh, we're going to put a little more heat on him. And it's really more Vogel style basketball. And and so it was funny that to see that. That said, though, for much of the other game, we did do a lot of one through four switching in particular, in which it was like, hey, now we're starting to find some hybrids between what Vogel likes to do and what this team is really built to do and the the strengths of its personnel. So let's take a quick break. When we come back, let's get more into that defense. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So, Mike, in that pregame press conference, he talked about that idea of having that defensive wing next to LeBron and AD. And I don't I don't personally think that that's absolutely necessary to have that in in that spot, in that other front court spot. But from Frank Vogel's perspective, somebody who prefers big physical defenders, that's very much uh, a, a central concept to him. And in a lot of ways, to me, explains the idea of plan if plan a was Ariza, what is plan b and in vogel's mind that's deandre jordan dwight howard a five rather than going smaller talk to me about what you know of of like vogel and the coaching staff's perspective on defense and like what they like out of that personnel and it doesn't always match what we have here and i, I think it's interesting 
what they have to figure out, like the their own puzzle they have ahead of them. Yeah, well, this is this is again all tied into what the personnel is, and if you're if we're now to the point where they're starting Anthony Davis at the five for the foreseeable future, and maybe in a couple of different matchups, uh, maybe maybe that switches some, but this does seem like the general idea uh, that they've been wanting to get to. So now off the bench in this particular lineup, you're bringing like if you start THC and Bradley, right? Then you're bringing Monk, Ellington, Mello. Um, as your your primary guys that are playing minutes. And none of those guys is a defensive player. So it's a total shift from before where the guys that you're bringing off the bench are veering much more towards the defensive side um, of the court. And even that that includes Kuzma, by the way, last year for what his role was and what he was asked to do. Sure. And obviously Caruso uh, would be the biggest cog there in that machine. Now, Dwight Howard played 13 minutes, um, and I thought it was fine. Like, eight rebounds, you know, battled some. That's that's a, a role that can be fine there. But if it's – this is to me where just almost by, by, like, common sense nature, if you split – if you have either Bradley or a defender, like – well, I, okay, none's a different discussion. I think you think none's a better defensive player than I do. But uh, – sure. But, like, if that's a reason – None is a – go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Jump Sorry, in, go jump ahead, in, go ahead. Jump in. No, 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 just none. I think none is a necessary defender. We saw like Russ is a stout defender. He's strong and athletic. THT is similar. He's a stout defender with long arms. He's not the speed athlete that that Russ is, but that wingspan can do a whole bunch of things that disrupt things. I think you need one guy that's kind of quick and KCP-ish, right, in terms of that small defender that can run around like it's it's more stylistically that I think none fits than I think none is some remarkable defender I think he's about a league average defender personally ah yeah I we'll have to have our um our buddy George Sedano come on sometimes because when I asked him about none's defense last year and, and not uh, as a as a big heat fan not too thrilled and the the defensive rating would back that up and Miami is not a team where it's like if you bring a guy over from uh let's see like Portland right and you can be like oh maybe we could coach him up in this system, but Miami is a team that demands a sure. lot of their defensive players and Spolster is a good defensive coach. So that's, but that's another, we'll, we'll have that discussion once we see none actually play some minutes. I've watched enough none tape to where I feel, I feel good enough in my uh, observation to say, I think he's about a league average defender, but to be continued for right. sure. I'll be charitable and give that to you. Um, even if, if I allow a little skepticism in my, into from my league past days on top of the other stuff, but All, it, skepticism is always regardless, healthy, yes. regardless, it's not he's not going to be a game changer um, there. I think we can agree on that. But if you've got agreed, if you've got yes. Monk Ellington as the combo, it's just it gets back into the trade off thing. Like that's also a devastating offensive group when you bring in Monk and Ellington on either wing, especially if it's the three stars in there or even two of the three. And I think the trade off is worth it in terms of like a net rating and, and the numbers so far would suggest that it is. And so that's where it's just again i think it's so difficult for this for this coaching staff to to have that complete shift from what has worked out but that's the job right that is the job you have to adjust every year to the personnel and to maximize what it is and i see it getting closer my immediate question and why i'm so curious some this will be out probably uh, just before the grizzlies game but can they stack a couple of these performances now cuz boston was not very good uh in a lot of different ways you know so that's what I'm I'm yeah. in part of that. The Lakers got credit and Memphis has been playing very well. They have, they have now they're on a back to back and they actually yeah. they finally lost to Dallas. And, you know, I think that they're, 
in terms of their, they hadn't lost a lead in five straight games, basically since Jaw went down and losing to Dallas puts a little dent in that confidence. And so I think that, you know, that I think that's important for the Lakers going into it. But just to get back to the defensive discussion, that's the part Pete, where I'm curious is, can this can this be something where they're building now and it's not just what it was earlier in the season where they'd have like a decent game and then, you know, we'd see them struggling to beat the Pistons or uh, beat the Kings. And, and you know, look, having LeBron uh, play consecutive games is certainly going to help towards that. It, it certainly does help, doesn't it? I And I do think that that's going to be part of our personality where there are games where we don't quite show up. That said, in terms of the timing of the season and the context of the season, that 10-game winning streak that AD talked about, even if we don't get to 10, stringing some of them together, like you're saying, is is really important that we start doing that, getting that positive momentum, getting some successes under our belts after a lot of adversity and struggles and injuries and self-inflicted wounds and all of that, just some good mojo. I think that... In some ways, I like the fact that we're on the road for these couple of games because I think that there is a little bit of a galvanizing effect and we're always in these cities where it's like the one time or two times that we show up and the fans are extra appreciative to be able to catch their Lakers live, you know, and there's just an energy about that. Is is that something that you see on the ground, like in in traveling with the team? Like what's the difference in in terms of the – Am I imagining this togetherness like on the road that it's a different dynamic than being at home? No, not at all. I mean, the first time that I that this concept really crystallized in my head was when I moved to Los Angeles to cover the Lakers for the first time, because I didn't travel full time with the Wolves. Um, I would go occasionally. And Pete, this is going to surprise you. Not a ton of Timberwolves fans in road arenas. Okay, so there wasn't exactly (laughs) that that kind of thing. So I get to my first Laker road trip. And you know what? Uh, this would be this would be a, a fun trip down memory lane. I'm going to look up and see what what it actually was. Um, see yeah, the dates no, on I that. I don't want to see the. So date. we're talking 2008. 2008. Yeah, I just want to see. I want to see literally what city um, it was. And and so. Oh great. Yeah. And so okay. So it was the first road game of that year. The first the first road game was at the Clippers. <laughs> so they won. There they, you go. <laughs> but that year, if you remember. So they came out storming out the gates, of course, because they were pissed. Yeah, they lost to Boston. Uh, they had Bynum back. They had Ariza back. But 96-76 was the first game uh, against Portland at home. Then they smashed the Clippers 117-79 to uh, in the second game. Oof. Then they won at Denver mm-hmm. 104-97, um, right, which is who they had played in the previous year's uh, first in that in that terrific Western Conference or no, they would play them in that Western Conference finals. So uh, then they won their first. Let's see. They were eight. and zero, I think. But the so Denver was the place that and that's that's the one I was trying to remember because I'm like, oh, hold on a second here at Denver. There's Laker fans all over the place. And Phil Jackson spoke to this. Uh, I, I don't remember if it was pregame or postgame, but he was basically like, yeah, like this is the tribe. You know, this he as he always goes back to his Native American um uh, stories and influences from North Dakota um, where he grew up. Like this is the, this is when the team can come together and find something. And, and then later that year, right. They went on like the Grammy trip and, and same thing. And um, so it's just a, I think it's different for the Lakers than it is for a lot of teams. Pete, there are maybe a couple of other teams that get that kind of band on the road, but you're, you can find a way to get boosted when some of your fans are in every city and then the home fans are are rooting against that and against you. So I the the point I'm trying to make is that it is a uniquely Lakers thing, I think, 
to be able to really find a way to galvanize on the road. Um, maybe in a similar way of like a, if an Alabama or a Georgia in college football travels uh, with their with their fan base sure. or SCT, like the Steelers teams, in the yeah. NFL. Yeah, like like they're so when they go somewhere else, sure. they're a you're, they're bringing some of their fans, but also the fans are so aware that they are kind of the dynastic team that it just it just creates the buzz. And and when you have the talent, that's great. If you don't have the talent, not as great. And in, in this case, you know the Lakers certainly do. I I really think that this better spaced and paint attacking and up tempo type of style is super conducive to road games. And uh, like obviously the old saying is that defense is what travels, and that's going to be the wellspring from which all of this comes from. But I think that how we go about defending is going to be a, a really really interesting topic on in terms of how do we get those stops that get us out into transition. And I think keeping guys in front of us is going to be a a big part of that. And so like being able to catch that wave though, that that's one thing that stood out to me from watching the road games on TV is kind of the swell and the wave. And as Russ or LeBron is advancing the ball up the court and everyone's running and you just hear that buzz and that swell that that's something that we really got to capitalize on Mike, that is really just the spirit and energy of this team that I think this is this these two games coming up, I think, are a huge opportunity. There's no question. And I as you were as you were saying that, Pete, I realized I buried the lead on that first season because I was thinking of the first road game. But it was the it was the Grammy trip. And that was the trip when Kobe, if you recall, dropped 61 at the garden. Um, a men mm-hmm. right after uh, that was right after Bynum got right hurt. after. Yeah. Exactly. Right after Bynum got hurt. And, and that was Kobe's way of saying, like, look, he got hurt. We're still winning the goddamn title this year. Okay, I don't like That's I don't right. care what happens. I am going to win an NBA championship this year. This is That's happening. Right. And that I think that really lifted Pow and Lamar from that point out. But on that trip, so the Lakers go, they smash Minnesota, smash Memphis, um, beat New York with a 61, beat Toronto, always a tough place for the Lakers to win. Boston, and that was a that was of course the Boston team, and you know, we don't need to go over that. They beat him in OT. Remember that 110-109 OT game? And then they wrap up that trip with a win at uh, Cleveland. So 6-0, and right, uh, despite losing Bynum, Kobe-driven. And this team is not there yet, right, like with that with that kind of um, verve. And they didn't have the – they didn't have – like this team didn't lose together, right, in the previous season. Like it's, it's so different in that sense. But it is similar in the yeah. fact that they have LeBron and they have Anthony Davis, and then now they have Westbrook getting integrated. So there is some of that, I think, that this team can start to capture um, and start to find, and and the road is a good place to do it. The biggest parallel I see there is Kobe picking up everyone's spirits with that Madison Square Garden performance, dropping 61 right after Bynum got hurt. Because in context, Bynum going down was crushing. I think that was, he had a couple injuries, but I think that was the one where Kobe, it was in Memphis or Minnesota, and Kobe like crashed into his knee. I may be confusing years. Well, Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was Memphis, yeah. Yeah, and as soon as Bynum went down and like, it was because he went down the year before, right? He was a big part of the excitement about the following year is like we lost to the Celtics, but Bynum was, you know, Bynum was hurt. Um, and that we had this yeah. place where we could go. We had more talent coming in. And so Kobe doing that in that moment, that's what I want to zero in on is that I'm, there's a great story from Mike D'Antoni who, uh, you know, they had been friendly. Uh, they had played there. 
Kobe's dad had played with D'Antoni in Italy, I believe. Anyway, they'd had a relationship and D'Antoni was the coach of the Knicks at the time. And he was like, hey, Kobe, what's up before the game uh, or like in the hotel or something, not even on, you know, at the arena. And like Kobe just stonewalls him and just like keeps and D'Antoni's like, oh, we're we're in for some shit yeah. tonight. right?" Yeah, exactly. And so there's basketball teams have a spirit to them. Right. And they have a collective energy. This is part of what I love about Russ, that why not that, you know, self-belief that un you know shakable belief in self and each other and keeping everyone's spirits up kobe doing that when he did it was the most important thing and i think that these two games we caught a little bit of momentum uh in in that boston game we'll see how much and they're going to determine how much it is but i think that we've got a huge chance to swing some things in a positive way over these next two games I think that'll do it for this one. We'll be back to cover all of it. Got a back-to-back in Memphis, then in OKC. Hopefully we can finally beat OKC. Got to start with a very good Memphis team, though. We'll be back tomorrow to cover that and more on the Laker Film Room Podcast. Ainge has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. They will. Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Here on the line. A lot of Laker fans well, sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Ryan spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Miss it. seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble. And banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.